Welcome to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. So in addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon or my website or wherever else you want. Um, My guest today is a fellow career coach, Tammy Palmer. Our show's purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X millennials and those to come after seek positions of leadership that allow them to be themselves. So every show we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top rated career coaching service. Sorry, that's my dog scratching on the door. And we have a dog. Uh, (laughs) Beyond Pepper, we focus on the practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. Check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or, you know, you can just Google it. Hi, Tammy. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And I'm glad you have a dog that chimed in because I'm surrounded by animals who may or may not be chiming in, depending on if UPS rings the doorbell or not. I know. Interesting times that we live in, that's for sure. (laughs) For sure. So anyways, uh, Tammy, why don't we just dive into things? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am a job search coach slash career advisor, a former recruiter who stumbled into the world of coaching and never looked back. I run a business um, out of Chicago, but I service people across the country. And I have another business I run in that I'm also a fiction writer and I lead writing retreats and writing communities. So Uh, Like I advise my clients, I'm trying to live the dream out myself by having the dream career and doing it all. Excellent. And how did you get into career coaching? That's a great question. I um, was a recruiter in Boulder for 15 years, and I was always finding ways to give back through volunteer efforts, helping with immigrant populations or helping at the university or helping in the 2000 one 2002 big recession. And it was always a passion of mine. And at my last job, when I was a recruiting manager, I created a sideline business of career services. And I would come out of those sessions on a high. And my recruiter called me out on it. And she said, you know, this is really the work you should be doing. You shouldn't be behind the desk recruiting anymore. So I, um, I left and went on a little bit of a soul searching mission myself to figure out what was next for me. And out of that experience and that career sabbatical I took, Gray Zone is what emerged. And I've been coaching now. I'm in my ninth year of uh, business doing this. So the name of your business is Gray Zone Mentoring, right? Right. It's officially just Gray Zone, but Gray Zone Mentoring was the URL I could get. And it really defines the work I do. Sure. So what does Gray Zone mean? Well, yeah, I have this line on my website that's like, There's black, there's white, and then there's the gray zone. And when I was in HR, I was always the one saying, guys, we're working with people here. It's not black and white. You got to look at the gray. And I feel like I've always been an advocate for the gray. And that gray space 
is really, it can be confusion. It can be overwhelmed with ideas and thoughts. And I'm almost like a, like a guide with a flashlight through that, helping people see clarity and focus and understanding what they need to do next, how to break that into actionable steps that get them on a path. And so it, it just works so well. So obviously one of the things that you do is kind of help figure, figure out like their career plans. So when you first started working with somebody on that, where do you actually start? It's, and it's sometimes confusing. Sometimes it takes a little while to figure out where to dive in. But I've got a few uh, tips and methods that help. And the first is I've got a five-page dream job sketch where people fill out ahead of time everything from the tactical stuff of what do you love to do and what would you love to delegate and never, ever have to do again to more existential questions that we don't often think about, which is like, what did I intend to be doing with my life versus what I'm doing now? And who influences me in my career? And have I made decisions based on them rather than what I want to do? So we talk through that. But one of my favorite tools is to, con- is to break down this concept of figuring out what's broken. People come to me, they're stuck, they're unsure, they know something needs to change, but they're not sure what it is. And what I found is when you tease apart the industry from the company, from the job duties, from the boss, you can start to figure out what's the broken piece and then what needs to change as they go to look for a next job going forward. So is there like a particular one single most important factor somebody should look at, you know, when they start thinking about a different career? Well, I guess if I could distill all that down, it's really looking at most people, for the majority of people, either there's two things that are, they're in a situation where their interpersonal relationships are preventing them from happiness, right? Mm-hmm. They got a bad boss, they got a bad coworker, they got about something. Or more often than not, people have mastered the role that they're in and they're bored and they're not challenged and they're not growing. And when we're not challenged and growing, we stagnate and we start to feel like we're on a treadmill. So I think identifying which of those two pieces, and sometimes there are more that's wrong, will help you get focused in the right direction in terms of making that change as opposed to just being subject to whatever falls in your lap at the time. I I reference shiny object syndrome. You can get really distracted by the wrong opportunities when you're in that place where you know you just want to change. So what would be some examples of like these shiny objects? Oh, so an example is you're, you're frustrated at work and an old boss calls and say, hey, you want to come work for me? And you don't really love the company that they're working for or you don't love the job, but it gets you out of where you're at now. And so you're just saying, okay, sure, why not? It's more money or it's a change of scenery. And that will be really wonderful for six or nine months. But then you're in there and you say, oh, well, this isn't really what I wanted. And I didn't think that through and I just jumped. Mm-hmm. And now what do I do? I can't move. I just got a new job. I can't have another shift on my career, on my resume. Right. So I think we can get, we can get really distracted when we're not focused. Yeah, I think I see quite a bit of the people come to us with those kind of situations too, where uh, we work with a lot of people who are mid-career and above and they're like, mm-hmm. I haven't had to look for a job in 10 years because everything I ever got was through networking and this friend called and this friend called or this past boss called. And there's very mm-hmm. little intentionality to their careers. It just kind of happens. Then they're put in a situ- right. situation where the networking is not working anymore. 
they don't know how to deal with the HR department. They don't know how to search outside their network for things that they actually want instead of just letting it happen to them. And that's quite an interesting intersection for a lot of people. Totally. I think you could talk to any career coach and they probably all have that situation because that's the way a lot of people manage their careers is stuff just falls in their lap and they don't put a lot of thought and intention into it. And then one day they wake up and say, okay, well, this isn't working anymore. I've never had to intentionally look for something. I don't even know how to, how to do this. Yeah. I think the other thing is like that statement that gets out there that, you know, 80% of all jobs are found through networking. It reinforces that myth because networking is very, very broad. It's not just tapping the people that you know on the shoulder. So they're like, well, I got all my jobs through networking. So my career must be going in the right direction, but it's not their intention. It's just what happened. Or the concept of intentionally networking. Mm -hmm. You can still get your jobs through networking, but you use your network in an intentional way to get a specific job that you've identified and bulleted. You know, I have people write your dream job, create that job description, and then use that as a treasure map to go find it, as opposed to deciding what happens to fall in your lap and which is the best of what you've been offered. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned on like your LinkedIn profile is yeah, you help people, you know, lead them to their innate career paths. Is this kind of like that treasure map you're talking about? Yeah, this is pretty much it. Um, you know, I really, and, and I'll be honest that when we go through this process of uh, dissecting the dream job sketch and figuring it out, I also lean on into my own intuition quite heavily. And so sometimes I can hear their, their stories and say, Oh, well, you should be, you know, product manager. And they're kind of like, how did you get that so fast out of everything? And it's just being able to see through that fog. So yeah, some of it, uh, I'll admit, is the magic of intuition, of hearing someone's stories, being an active listener, and being able to help them figure it out. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the biggest deterrents people face when they're trying to break into a new career? Well, you, you can't get a job when you don't have experience. (laughs) that's that's an issue (laughs) (laughs) we have moved away as a society from saying you're sharp you've got a degree you've got skills i'll teach you you'll figure it out um that doesn't happen as often as it should and so companies want to hire people that fit the exact mold that they're looking for. We want a widget maker that has background in this and blah, 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 blah. And so when you're switching, it's really hard when you haven't done all of that, but you want to do all of that. Mm-hmm. So I tell people any career change under the sun can happen if you've got the right contacts. And I have seen people make some really drastic, incredible career shifts without having the experience, but none of them did it by applying cold and having their resume picked because you will not show up as the best candidate when you don't have the experience and people are judging you without any knowledge of you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my own background in recruiting was I I did mostly HR within the company. I did a couple of years as like, you know, headhunter type recruiter, but it was a very niche industry. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the things I teach about dealing with the HR departments is like, you've got to accept the HR has to cut 90 to 95% of all candidates that apply. And to do that, 
they're always looking for an easy cut. And this sounds harsh and it sounds cruel, but it's kind of that black and white thinking that HR has. It's like, all right, you don't have five years of experience. Nope, the computer kicks you out. Oh, you've got a gap in your most recent work history. Oh, the computer kicks you out. So I always teach people that we need to do a two-prong attack, right? So you got to apply through HR. You can't ignore it. You have to legally apply through the job and also prove that you're a good boy or girl who can follow instructions. That's what that's about. But then the real work is all about tracking down those hiring managers, figuring out who they are, getting the contacts. And the hiring managers are the decision makers, not the HR people. Because sometimes talk about a shiny object. I'll be coaching someone and they're like, I spent two hours finding the HR recruiter. The HR recruiter doesn't care. They already had your stuff. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and some of it, I mean, you and I know because we worked in HR, is they're not, they're not compensated or incented to spend time networking with candidates and building a, a future pipeline to pull on. It's just not the way the system's set up. They're really set up to whittle that stack as fast as possible and get it down. And I remember, you know, it, was, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to have 40 openings at a time as a recruiter. That's a lot of resumes to be reading through with mm. each one, of the, you know, 100 applicants. You don't have the time and you don't have the resources to spend and say, like, yeah, I know this guy doesn't look great on paper, but I bet he's really sharp and I bet he could figure it out. Like, there's, there's no bandwidth to figure that out as a recruiter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, usually the recruiter won't accept your invitation, unless they're the more like the headhunter outbound sales kind of person. They won't even accept your you know, invitation on LinkedIn because by their own company's mandates, they have to be you know, impartial. They can't show any kind of bias. And if they start accepting mm. you know, connections from candidates that could you know, damage that relationship or that viewpoint... Yeah, I'm, I'm like the mean old nasty HR grumpy recruiter. <laughs> Let your resume get through. <laughs> yeah, now I've turned from the dark side and I spill all the secrets. But yeah. well, let's talk a moment about fear because I think fear can also be a huge problem when somebody's trying to break into that new career. You know, it's the difference from dreaming it, thinking about it versus doing it. I think fear is a huge gap. In uh, oh, for sure. And people don't like change, right? We're comfortable where we're at. I know there's probably something I'd like to do more, I'd enjoy more, but what if I don't like it? What if I make a mistake? What if I, what if it doesn't work out? You know, we go to that place usually before we go to, well, what if it does? What if I'm happier? Mm -hmm. So here's the other deterrent I see a lot of people get caught up about, and it's the money thing, right? Mm -hmm. So should somebody always expect to have to accept less money or accept a lower position just to pivot into something new? You know, that's a tough one because it depends. And I hate that answer, but that's what it is. Um, it can mean that. And part of what I talk with people about is, all right, if you want to go do this big career pivot, it may involve going back to school. It may, come in, it may involve coming in at a lower rate. Is, that, is it that important to you? Do you want it that much? Or is there something we can leverage with the skills you do have that will keep you at your level? Another thing that um, it's, it's a little tangential, tangential to what you're asking here, but I think worth noting is that sometimes people are so burnt out, they want to change. But I also encourage them before you go start going back down that leadership track, remember that with leadership and big titles also comes influence and an ability to be at the table making decisions as opposed to having the decisions made and then just 
giving them to you and you're following orders. And once you've had a taste of management, it's often hard to give that up and people don't think about that a lot. Mm -hmm. So depending on the pivot, you really need, and this is what I like to help people back with, is really dissect why are they pivoting? What do they want to get out of it? What's important to them? And sometimes a lower position or less money is required. Sometimes it's not. It just depends on the industry and what they're doing and how big of a shift they're, they're going for. And sometimes people want it. I remember working with a VP who said, get me down off this ladder. I can't travel. I can't take calls at nights and weekends. I just want to go in and do my job and leave. And I don't care how much of a pay cut it takes. Get me off this track. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the person, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I recently helped a, a friend of mine who was going through a, a pretty big career transition and kind of getting back into one of those things that she felt was her life's purpose. And, you know, one of the exercises we did was like, cause she knew she was going to have to take a drop down in money fairly significantly. And I was like, okay, we need to crunch some numbers. What can you live on? Can you honestly do this or not? Because yeah, it's nice to have the lofty goals, but if you're not paying your rent, that's another story. And then it also comes into what price is happiness. Well, and you can also get into the whole lifestyle questions as Americans in this consumer-based economy. We've become accustomed to what we think we need versus what we actually need. And, you know, I often will tell people like, well, yeah, the bigger salary, you can go from a Toyota Corolla to an Audi to a Tesla. How much do you care? Mm -hmm. If you're happy driving the Toyota, you don't need the Tesla, just because your neighbors have it. Sometimes a lower salary can buy you freedom. If you're deciding to go an entrepreneurial path and go out on your own, and it's going to take a long time before you can get back to your six-figure salary. It depends on what you're trading off. And I think we don't take enough time thinking about what the money means and how badly we need it. We just assume we do. Because everyone tells us, you need more, more, more. There's never enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like weighing the golden handcuffs, right? Exactly. <laughs> They're called you know, that versus <laughs> your soul. Yeah, and it's great when you can find a balance. But um, I did. I, I'm a walking example of that. I left a six-figure job to go out on my own. And I've made financial changes for that. But the freedom I have, the fact that I can do yoga at 10 o'clock, I can go have lunch with a friend, I'll go do my grocery shopping in the middle of the day, I own my schedule, you know, it's worth it. But it's not that case for everybody. And it's important to know what is, what's of the, the highest value for you. So along those lines, I always love it when people take their own advice, especially as career coaches and, and dive into their own career passion. So uh, tell me more about your work as a writer. Oh, sure. Yeah. So there's this whole other side of me that um, as a kid wanted to be Judy Bloom. So in 2017, I finally uh, published my first novel. And then during um, this fall, under under the corona days, I published my second novel, and I'm at work on a third. And it's definitely honoring my truth and who I am. And I absolutely love that I am able to do both and get my identity out there as a writer. And my writing has really flourished into a whole writing community. So I lead online writing programs, women on writing retreats a couple of times a year. I'm going to be launching a critique group for writers. So I've got a really big burgeoning writing business. Um, And people have asked me, like, would you ever want to do that and give up Grey Zone? 
and I feel like like you're asking me to choose between my two kids. Um, mm. Right now, I love them both so much. I can't imagine having one over the other, and I can't imagine not having both of them. So I don't know where the future will go, but I feel really blessed that I've been able to to have both of these professional identities as as where I'm at in my life. Yeah. And do you have any like uh, upcoming classes that you'd like to share? Yeah. So on the, um, on the writing front, I do, I've got lots going on. So if any, anyone's interested in that, please reach out to me in terms of um, gray zone. I've pulled back from doing some of the classes that I was doing online, but I just had one last week called interviewing in the age of zoom, where I had a body language expert talk about tips of how to show up in interviews over video uh, and while that event happened last week, we do have a recorded playback that I'm selling for $15. So if anyone out there listening is interested in getting a copy of that, they can simply email me, and I'm sure you'll have my contact information available later. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd be happy to share that that recording because I think that was a lot of really good information. And I will be looking to add more classes throughout the year, but right now um, that's the one that I've I've got available for people is the playback. All right. Cool. Cool. Sounds very intriguing. Definitely a necessary skill these days. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if it's changing. I've heard rumors that we may be doing videos for first round interviews going forward. That might just become practice. So probably not a bad thing to master anyway. Yeah. And it's also super easy for companies to just record them all. So if you're not performing well in an online interview and you're portraying the wrong kind of things with your body language or even the background in your room, it's going to live forever. It's like things out on the in the internet. It's always there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think they were recording them, but I suppose they could. I, I hope that they're not, but who knows what If happened. I was HR, I sure would. If I had the capacity <laughs> to save everybody's interview, damn right. <laughs> <laughs> But remember, I'm the mean, grumpy HR recruiter. <laughs> right, right. I got it. <laughs> so anyways, we get to come to one of my favorite parts of the show today. Uh, now we get to talk about the tattoo of the day. But Tammy, you don't have a tattoo, do you? I know. I know. I'm so honored that you allowed me to come on your podcast. Severely <laughs> lacking in that arena. <laughs> so if you were to get a tattoo, what would you get? And like, where would you put it? All right. Well, I, and I've thought about it multiple times, but honestly, I'm like so scared of elective surgery and anything hurting my body that I can't even bear the thought of it. That's how much of a wimp I am. But I, I would probably pick a quote or an image of like an open book or something like that. And I don't know, maybe I'd have it on my arm or I don't know where. I used to think I was going to get an ankle on or a dolphin on my ankle. And I'm so glad I didn't because I don't know that that would have held up over the years. But I'll talk about my favorite tattoo that I ever saw. One of my recruiters had a, had a sunset or a big, big sun on the horizon across her back, across her shoulders. And she was the most bright beaming ball of joy. um, Big blonde woman who was always positive and smiling. And I just thought like, that is so her and it's so gorgeous. And when she would wear like a halter top or a sundress, you could see it. And it was just, it so went with her. And I always, I was always super impressed with that. Excellent. Excellent. So thank you very much for joining us today, Tammy. Uh, So how can people get in touch with you? 
Oh, well, in these days, you know, I have what, I can receive email 16 different ways. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And I'm on LinkedIn in terms of social media. My email address is T Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R, at grayzonementoring.com. All one word, and I spell gray zone with an E, not an A. Um, my website is grayzonementoring.com. Yeah. And you gave us tons of links uh, for, you know, your, yeah. everything else. <laughs> I don't want to read them all. <laughs> the show description. So if somebody's like trying to furiously write things down, just come look at the descriptions. We've got all the links for you. Uh, one thing to note, Tammy is spelled T-A-M-I. So if you're looking for Tammy Palmer, that's the Tammy that you want to connect with. Thank you. And if you're looking for my author identity, I'm Tamara Palmer under my fiction books. And my books are on Amazon. They're called Finding Lancelot and Missing Tyler. I guess I should throw that out there too. Excellent. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for your time today. This has been the end of another session of Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits. If uh, my producer always has to remind me, if you like what you're doing, give us a like, give us a follow. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. Be kind out there. And until next time, catch you later.